Hey now, what would you do if someone was coming to take away the things that you worked hard to accumulate in your lifetime? Well, if you're a business owner, this is something you should be thinking about. And what if you're planning for your retirement and you're counting on government assistance in your retirement, like, for example, I don't know, Medicaid, but you're going to be taking home too much money or somebody may tell you you have too many assets. Many of you haven't even thought about this. Well, you should be thinking about it right now, whether you're 35, 55, or 75. And that's what we're gonna talk about today. That and so much more. My guest today is Stephanie Sexauer, and she answers these questions for her clients, and she's gonna answer them for us today. She's a trust and estates lawyer and the attorney and founder of Sex Hour Law. So please join us in welcoming Stephanie to the Inside BS Show. Stephanie, thanks for joining us. It's great to have you here today. Hey, Dave, thank you so much for having me. All right, so tell us how you got into trust and estates in the first place. Tell us your story. Sure. Well, I'm, um, I'm an Illinois attorney. I grew up in the Chicago suburbs. Um, and as is kind of typical in you know this area, we all kind of grow up around here and stay around here. Um, went to college down at U of I in Champaign, back to law school in the city. But you know, in thinking, growing up knowing I wanted to be a lawyer, I didn't know exactly what type. I knew I wanted to be in a courtroom, at least sometimes. Um, but I also just had always had this really soft spot for seniors. My grandma had lived with us growing up, so she was, my parents both worked and a lot. So she really raised me and my three siblings for, you know, to a large extent. So I was so lucky when I graduated from law school to find my first job, and it happened to be at a firm that did a lot of probate. And so for people who don't know, probate is the legal process where when someone passes away, their estate needs to go through probate. Uh, in order for assets to pass to that person's family. So, you know, in Illinois where I work, that legal threshold is someone who owns real estate or has over $100,000 of assets that are not jointly owned or name a beneficiary. So it applies to a lot more people than you'd think. And as part of probate, there are other types of estates that you might open. One might be adult guardianship, one might be minor guardianship, all within the realm of probate. So I'm very, very lucky to have found this. Um, and I really do really enjoy the work. Okay. So you mentioned your grandma, you mentioned that, you know, that she had a big influence on you and on your website, um, and in your, in, on your LinkedIn page and in a number of different, uh, publications, I think that you, where you've been interviewed or you've written, you talk about elder law, explain to folks what elder law actually is, because we hear a lot about it and everybody kind of nods their head. Oh yeah. Elder law, elder law. But I don't know that people really know what elder law is. So educate us, help us understand what elder law is. Sure. Well, you know, interestingly, I think that this is a term, kind of a legal term of art that it encompasses a number of different factual scenarios or solutions that all kind of together mean elder law, but it's comprised of many different practice areas. One is the idea of adult guardianship, which is, again, a probate proceeding where someone who's over the age of 18 would need someone else to make legal decisions for them. And that could be because they were a, a person of typical cognition and then aged into a disability like dementia or Alzheimer's. 
It could be someone who, like you and me, was just roaming around their regular everyday lives, were hit by a car and ended up in a coma. Um, or it could be someone who, who from the get-go, had some type of disability that rendered them, when they turned 18, unable to make decisions. Somebody like, you know, someone who has Down syndrome or really severe autism, someone who even, you know, we knew the day they turned 18 wouldn't be able to make competent legal decisions for themselves. So that's the type of elder law that I regularly practice. And that's the, it's really kind of my love in the law. Um, it's where you're really helping families through a moment that they otherwise legally can't get through without the assistance of attorneys and social workers and case management and judges. And through that, you can accomplish a lot, you know, whether it's, um, rescinding a contract that someone should never have entered into, whether it's recovering assets after a really serious financial exploitation, um, whether it's you know selling businesses, selling property, all of that can happen in adult guardianship, and it's really again fulfilling work. Okay, so the you know your the scenario you some of the scenarios you played out, I think it makes sense to have that have that plan in place well before you need it so people who are in their 30s or their 40s or definitely in their 50s they should be thinking about those types of things in advance and i know that trust and estates attorneys when you go to them will talk about the different types of documents that people need to have in order for all different scenarios, most people think of trust and estates and they think of a will, right? And we know that a will is an important thing because you want your assets to go to your heirs and you wanna spare them the expense and the time delay of going through the probate process. What else, Stephanie, besides a will should somebody have in place? Like, you know, a family, a couple who just got married or maybe they're having a baby, right? Whenever people have life events, like I'm the, I'm the Grim Reaper in our family. So when somebody has a life event, I'm like, oh, you got to go see the attorney. You got to update your will. Oh, you got to go see the attorney. You got to get a trust. Oh, you got to go see the attorney. Time for a healthcare proxy. You know, we got a pandemic going on. So what types of documents should people have and let's take let's just do it very vanilla. It's a new couple. They just got married. Life is great for them. They're so happy. Now is the time when they got to think about their death. So they come to Stephanie. And what are you going to recommend for them? Sure. Well, again, Dave, this is so morbid. And people in the prime of their lives do not want to talk to me. It, you know, the most natural time someone does come to me is when they've had that first baby. That's when they're finally thinking to themselves, God, what would happen if we weren't around to raise this baby? And so, you know, it's true. Air, airplane flights, Stephanie, everybody, everybody, before they get out there, they're in line waiting for security at the airport and they look at each other. I know my wife and I did this and they're like, well, what would happen to the kids if this plane goes down? Right. <laughs> you know, and a lot of people will even fly separately because that thought just terrifies them to such a great extent that they don't want to tra physically travel together. Um, All right. So what, what documents do we need? What do we have to have in place? Yeah, there, there are four separate documents that I think make up the crux of a really good estate plan. One is a will, which is the place for those young parents where they will talk about guardianship for the kids. They'll decide who has the care and custody of the kids. You can include a lot of customizations on things like, well, I want our parents to raise the baby so long as they still live in Chicago. 
so long as they're under 75 when they start to act. Um, my sister, so long as she's married. My brother, so long as he's not a single, you know, as long as he's um, not divorced. Thinking, you know, I don't want a single person with three kids of their own having my three kids. It's just too much for one person to handle. So that's an, a vital document for anyone thinking about an estate plan. Okay. Now, I mentioned healthcare and COVID-19 and we, you know, in our family we had a my my mother had a very difficult decision when my grandfather was hospitalized and he, you know, he was on life support and there was a difference of opinion between my mother and her sister as to what his wishes would be. He didn't have his wishes written down. What is the document where we would determine what we want to happen if we're incapacitated? What is that document called? And, you know, when should they come to you to have that document drafted? Yeah. And there are a few different documents that kind of come together to do this. But I think the main document that everyone over the age of 18 should have, and parents, this includes your kids going off to college, by the way. You don't get to just call their medical group in school and say, hey, I want to know about Susie's um, diagnosis, you know, this is everyone over 18. And that's a healthcare power of attorney. So a healthcare power of attorney will allow someone else, a, once a condition is met, such as your doctor has affirmed you're no longer able to make decisions for yourself, it gives that right to do that to someone else. And if you have what's called a statutory power of attorney, meaning each state has usually decided their own language that they like to see in powers of attorney, and generally, just so you know, I recommend those because I think those are very familiar to doctors and emergency rooms. I don't want some document I drafted getting stuck in the legal department for a week. Well, we can't make your, your medical emergency decisions. So that's the document that I would recommend for everyone where you can A, name someone else who will make medical decisions in your place, and B, give some amount of guidance to that person as to the decisions you'd like to make. You know, you'll decide things like, is quality of life more important to me than the length versus staying alive is the most important thing to me. You can restrict their decision making. You can decide you never want blood transfusions. You know, you have a lot of, of things that you can guide your agent to, you know, decisions to make on your behalf. Okay. So let's talk a little bit now about a trust, right? So there's there, there are different types of trusts. And for planning purposes, older people oftentimes will uh, be counseled to put their assets in some sort of a trust. Why are, why are people counseled to do that? How do you use trusts? What are the different types of trusts? Yeah, I, you know, I think generally trusts can be described in two different venues. You know, there are two main types of trust. One is called a revocable living trust. And that's the one that most people should have. And, you know, like I mentioned here in Illinois, we know if someone A owns real estate or B has assets over $100,000 that are not jointly owned or name a beneficiary, their estate will go through probate if they don't have a trust. A will does not avoid probate. A will is a lot like a revocable living trust in that it describes A, who should manage your affairs once you're gone and B, who should inherit from you rather than the state making those decisions. But a trust, if it owns your assets as it, as it rightfully should, that's a funded trust and that's what we want, then, then your estate can bypass probate. And so that's what most 
most people need. And I think a lot of people don't because it sounds very fancy. It sounds like it sounds complicated, like it'll require a lot of maintenance and they really don't. So, you know, of the types of trusts, a revocable living trust is the most common and that's what's generally recommended when people recommend having a trust at all. Yeah, and one of the things that I really like about a trust from a, and we'll get into this down the road, from an asset protection point of view, is a trust allows you to own an asset or multiple assets with some privacy because you can name the trust. For example, a lot of people will own real estate in uh, an LLC and the LLC ownership will be a, you know, a trust. And the, the, the trust name could be the address of the, of the property. So 1450 you know, Pine Street or whatever, uh, 1450 Pine Street Trust. Or, and you know, it's, it, just, it, it doesn't really do anything other than protect the privacy and, you know, allows you, if you die, somebody, somebody can immediately step in. And, and if the trust is the manager of that property, somebody can immediately step in and manage the property, right? Right. And, you know, especially when you're considering people who own multiple properties or, ha you know, have an LLC or a series LLC, they'll usually utilize something, some structure like that to not hide assets, you know, a revocable living trust don't take those assets out of your own estate. They don't take them, you know, it's all run through your own social security number or EIN if it's an LLC. But you're right, there's some element of privacy there. It's just harder to find you. So that's why a lot of people like them as well. Well, and for like we, when I, whenever I work with attorneys who are, who, hand, who deal with famous people, for example, one of the things we have them do is they always bring in a trust and estates attorney and the famous person, if they're entering into a partnership, they, the partner is always the trust. We never have the famous person. And as long as it's, as long as it fits the asset structure that they're using, because we don't want like for, for example, uh, well, I, I don't want to. I don't want to break any confidentiality. But there was a there was a famous singer that uh, his client was his attorney was my client, and that famous singer is a prolific investor, and he uh, he makes more money these days uh, with his investments than he does from his music catalog. But this singer, when he came to my client, came to my client for uh, IP, you know, help, and I said, you know. I'm looking at this portfolio that you have here for him and everything is in his name. That's that there's a huge amount of exposure there. And he said, Oh, you're right. He said, you know, and he didn't want to go back and create, you know, special purpose entities for each. Well, he, he would have, but he thought that the client would have said, ah, that's a lot of work and it's going to cost a lot of money. And I don't know that's really necessary. So what he did was he went to a trust and estates attorney, trust and estates attorney created the trust and we retitled all the assets in the trust's name done. All of a sudden, his name disappears from the documents. Nothing changed, no material change. But I think, and this is the question that I have for you, he's better off because whoever is the, um, it's not the trustee, it's the, who's the, the person who takes over the trust when he dies. What is that? Is, is that the, the successor trustee? immediately upon his death, if he's, you know, riding the tour bus and God forbid the tour bus goes down a hill and he passes away, the successor trustee immediately can begin making decisions on those assets. And, you know, there's no, there's no issue with it. So 
it's a it's a really good strategy. Well, that's a great story to highlight kind of some other aspects of estate planning. The privacy benefit is one of them. You know, that that's not always a concern for everyone, but for the people that are, you know, definitely a cool maneuver. So I want to talk to you about that and I want to get into that and I'm going to, I'll ask you a question and I'll give you a minute to think about it because I think um, this is your, like your superpower. I think there are certain people who, before they do anything, should come to you and have this type of a, uh, I mean, I would call it like an asset protection scheme, but let's call it a strategy because scheme has a negative connotation, right? Asset protection strategy. And I want to ask you some questions about that and particular types of people, particular professions. So I want to get into that in just a minute. Before we do, I need to remind folks that our show is brought to you by Sandrowski Corporate Advisors. For over 35 years, Sandrowski has been helping people all across the United States with a number of different things. One of my favorite things that Sandrowski does is business valuations. So let's say you want to buy a new business and you're doing your due diligence and the person that you're buying the business from gives you all the financial information. And you're thinking to yourself, well, I know how to read these documents, but I'm not really sure that based on the finance, uh, the financial uh, uh, spreadsheets that I'm seeing here, that I should really be paying this price and I don't know how to make a counter offer. Well, that's a time to call Sandrowski Corporate Advisors because what they'll do is they'll do a financial analysis on the business, they'll look at the market conditions and they'll even look at some comparable businesses and they'll tell you, well, here, here is the range that this business should go for based on our analysis. And then you can decide whether you make an offer at the low end of that range, at the high end of that range or outside of the range altogether. This doesn't mean that Sandrowski is going to tell you, oh, you're overpaying for that business. They're just helping you make an educated decision. Another thing that Sandrowski Corporate Advisors can help you with is if you're an attorney, let's say, and you need some help digging into the finances of a case, you're handling a dispute between two partners over an asset. And the one partner says the asset is worth X. The other partner says the asset is worth Y. Sandrowski can get in there. They can look at the asset, determine the value of the asset from an accounting perspective using the generally accepted accounting principles, and they can give you an opinion. Now, why is that opinion important? Because if you're trying the case before a judge, the judge may want to hear from an expert. And here's the thing about Sandrowski. They have testified hundreds of times. Their, their CPAs, their experts have testified hundreds of times in court, and they can testify in a way that is down to earth, that is simple language, and make the most complex accounting so easy even a judge can understand it. If you need help with any of these issues, I want you to call 866-717-1607-866-717-1607, Sandrowski Corporate Advisors. They're a CPA firm with a different perspective. We're also brought to you by My Revenue Roadmap Guide. So when I work with my clients and I'm helping them build their book of business, the first thing we do is we create a business development plan. If you need a business development plan, you shouldn't have to sit down and develop one from scratch. So I'm gonna give you for free right now, My Revenue Roadmap Guide. Here's what you do. Go to revenueroadmapguide.com, revenueroadmapguide.com. Enter your contact info. You can download the same guide I use with my clients and you can customize it for you yourself. When I work with my clients, we sit down and we tinker with it. We work on it based on what my client's strengths are. You can do the same thing at home. Revenue Roadmap Guide. Go there. Download your free business development plan 
now. We're talking with Stephanie Sexauer. She's the attorney and founder of Sexauer Law. If you want to reach her, you can call her at 312-347-43, All right, Stephanie. So I'm a doctor, let's say, and I'm in a high risk field. Let's say I'm an anesthesiologist. I don't ever want an asset in my name, right? Because I'm a prime target. If something goes wrong, the first thing that's going to happen is, hey, listen, you know, personal injury attorneys need to eat. Medical malpractice attorneys need to eat. So if something goes wrong, the first thing that's going to happen is me, and as an anesthesiologist, I'm going to get served. I'm going to get sued. So I don't really want any assets in my name. What do you do to help somebody like me? Sure. So, you know, this, what we're talking about now is the, is, you know, we talked a little bit about revocable living trusts. Now we're talking about what are called irrevocable trusts and they can be beneficial for different people for different reasons. One of them is this idea of creditor protection, asset protection. Um, generally when someone's even thinking about doing an irrevocable trust, it's because their estate may be what's called taxable. In Illinois, for us, that's if there if someone's assets at death exceed four million dollars per person or eight million per couple. Federally, it's a lot higher; it's twelve over twelve million per person, twenty-four million per couple. And some states don't even have estate taxes. Illinois is one of I think twelve that do. But for someone in Illinois, if they're thinking about an irrevocable trust, specifically for asset protection, and whether or not it has anything to do with estate tax or not. The benefit of that is that they can take an asset that they've earned and basically give it to someone else for someone else's benefit without it being subject to the lens of a creditor. So just, you know, the benefit is exactly what you're saying, that if someone wanted to shield their assets from creditors, there is a way to do it. The disadvantage of irrevocable trust planning is that it really does give the asset to someone else. It's for someone else's exclusive benefit you lose control of it and you're not yourself supposed to benefit from it anymore. So are there creative ways to do that? Yes. Do people really like to lose that flexibility? Not always. So, you know, there's in any time of estate plan, if you're doing an an irrevocable trust, you likely already have a revocable trust and you'll just kind of work between the two to, to get to your comfort level. But certainly what you're suggesting is accomplishable. Okay. So oftentimes we'll hear people say, you know, I don't need that. I'm not in a high risk profession, right? My contention is always that if you're an entrepreneur, you're in a high risk profession because there's going to be, you know, you, you deal with, perhaps you deal with a lot of vendors, perhaps you deal with, you know, clients who, for whatever reason, uh, the relationship goes sideways and maybe through no fault of yours, but, you know, their uncle is a, is an attorney, so they don't have to pay him and he can sue you for whatever reason he wants. And, you know, these types of roles that people find themselves in, unless you're someone who is an employee of a large company, and even then, if you have any investment property, that should never be titled in your name, in my opinion. It should always be, there should always be some sort of an asset uh, protection strategy that you have. Talk about that for a minute. When people start to invest, let's say they invest in real estate, how, how does that, how, how does your how does your estate plan, 
How is it impacted by, you know, adding different types of assets like real estate to an estate plan? Sure. So, you know, I actually get this question a lot um, because a lot of people will, even if they're not active investment managers, they may own a property or two outside of their, you know, actual residential home. Um, I think a lot of people have the generally accepted um, notion that they've got property insurance, so they're protected. And yet we know people, we know that homeowners insurance would do anything they could to avoid paying out. So when we think about a scenario where you've got, a, you know, an all state homeowners insurance policy, someone in a, in a condo you own fell through the floor, died, if you weren't, you know, A, on time every month paying your premiums, if you uh, let the policy lapse, if for whatever whatever reason you didn't, you had signed something saying you would get the floors checked annually and you didn't, they're going to find a reason not to pay. And so where are the people going to, the, the family of the person who's passed away, who are they going to look to to pay? It's going to be you. So anyone who owns real estate in an investment context, my suggestion is always to consider having at least an LLC who owns that property and you can be the member manager of the LLC. But what that means is that if the LLC owns the property, then the family who's suing for the negligence or you know wrongful death of their loved one, generally all they can take is the value of what's in that LLC, which would hopefully just be that one property. And if you have multiple properties, you might want to consider having a series LLC where each of those properties are in their own series where they're all tied under kind of one umbrella and you can assign the interest in the LLC to your trust, you know, revocable or irrevocable, meaning that you as the trustee of the trust are still able to manage that asset and the asset upon your death still passes to the people you intended it to. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's. A, a, an excellent strategy. You know, the other thing that I talk to entrepreneurs about all the time, and it it's, it tends to be an eye-opening experience for them and for a lot of attorneys, Stephanie. So I'm curious to hear what your opinion is of this. There are assets in your business that should be that should have separate ownership from the actual business itself. For example, if you have an intellectual property portfolio, so your trademarks, anything that you have copyright uh, protection on patents, for example, all of those things, if your business is sued and it goes into bankruptcy, those assets will be subject to assignment or perhaps a sale. So those things should be owned by a separate company or and or that company should be owned by a trust so that those assets are insulated, they're protected. It does a couple of different things for you. It, the first thing it does is it protects you from, you know, creditors. The second thing it does is it keeps those assets separate. So when people value the business, you know, we were just talking about Sandrowski valuing things. They value the IP if it's in a separate entity completely separately from the business. So I could sell my business to Stephanie. I keep my IP and then I can sell my patent to somebody else if I want. What What is your experience? Is this something that is this is is this common knowledge like do do most entrepreneurs do this or is this something they just completely ignore 
Well, I think that, you know, the much more sophisticated business owners will usually surround themselves with with enough experienced professionals where they'll at least start having conversations like this. If someone's had, you know, if someone's had a sophisticated enough idea, strategy, whatever, that warrants them having a patent, a copyright, then they probably have thought about this or are being advised to do it. But, you know, I'm a, I'm a small business owner. I have a small law firm. I haven't even myself done that kind of, you know, what I think is pretty serious planning. Um, but I also don't know that there's anything. I haven't had a brilliant idea all of my own that's worthy of a patent, you know. I'm sure, you know, different business owners will do will will handle this differently. But I'm I'm glad that you're even bringing it up, to be honest. Well, so take like take this podcast for example. There are a lot of people out there who start out doing a podcast as a way to promote their own business, and then the next thing you know, the podcast takes on a life of their own. I know five different people who were either consultants or coaches and they were doing a podcast for business development purposes and the podcast ended up throwing off enough monthly income where they could make the decision to just exclusively work on making videos and doing a podcast well all of a sudden all of the intellectual property that surrounds each episode, that surrounds the name of the show, that you know the the logo has to be trademarked and protected. And now you've purchased all of the equipment, this microphone, the cameras, you purchased everything through your company. Well, all those assets, if you're gonna do that, have to be moved over to that new entity. And now you've got the business that you're actually promoting by doing the show, and you've also got the show that's separate. So if Spotify comes to to you like they did with Joe Rogan and they say I want to give you 100 million dollars to be exclusively on my show you're not going to sell them your you know your life coaching business in addition to your podcast so you don't have to go through the hassle of separating the two right now think about a more conventional business think about the um the corporate cleaning company let's say and the corporate cleaning company has a side business where they do rugs in homes but you know during the week on the overnight shift they're out buffing floors in office buildings and stuff but on the weekends they're doing carpets at home well the carpet cleaners in the in the local neighborhood want to buy that aspect of the business out and it's not separated it's not a it's not a separate uh it's not a completely separate entity it just it just makes sense if you have different lines of business or different types of assets to protect them and to title them separately oh yeah and i i think dave that brings up a really good point for especially people who are partners in a business you know one of the partners may have an idea spawned from the original business and they'll probably want to make sure that the second idea that forms the second business is completely separate from the company they've been working on with their partner for the exact reason I think you're bringing up, that it's much easier to separate when it's not, it, no one else gets to claim ownership to it. Well, that's a great point. And then talk about the benefits of taking, um, you know, I don't want to be, I don't want to be gender insensitive, but key man insurance, key person insurance in a company, right? People will, sophisticated people will go out and they'll get this key person insurance. So you and I are partners in, in a business and we're, you know, we have a, we have a convenience store and I say to you, Hey, Stephanie, listen, you know, if something happens to you, I want to be able to pay out your, uh, pay out your heirs so that I'm not partners with your, with your significant other in the business. I wanted to be a partner with you. Same thing with you. You didn't want to be a partner with my wife. You wanted to be a partner with me. So in order to make that payout happen, we need to have a buy-sell agreement. And we also need, you know, key person insurance. 
one of the steps I think they miss, and you can tell us if this is a good idea and you can tell us how it works, is you could make the beneficiary of the insurance policy a trust, and then the successor trustee could essentially be you know, the the other person in the business, and then that person can then, through the buy-sell agreement, buy the other partner out without ever having to, you know, worry about probate or any of that other stuff. There's no contentious issue. You know, the the wife or the the husband or the spouse, the significant other doesn't get to come in and say, no, I always wanted to own the convenience store, you know? Talk about talk about that a little bit. Well, I think you're spot on. You know, the whole point of, a, of key person key man insurance policies is this idea that at death there needs to be this liquidity in order to buy out the family so that the family doesn't actually take any ownership rights they don't want that they want they want the value they want the money that the company was worth and the surviving business partner wants you know the stock the shares the ownership they want to move on and work with in the business on the business but the family needs to be compensated and that's where the key person insurance comes in, which I think is a great idea. And I do know that, you know, enough advisors, I think these days have at least heard of this, you know, idea to make it a little more widely known. Um, but yet a lot of business owners will come to me and it hasn't been done yet. So, you know, and I think they're even still a little hesitant to do it, pull the plug on another policy, another premium, you know? Well, and do you know who the worst are at this, Stephanie? I'll give you a hint. Who do you think who do you think are the worst at this? The worst at, well, I'll tell you what, the worst planners I think of all time are lawyers. 100%. I do I do a lot of probate and I do a lot of estate plans for other lawyers and I'm like, you're fifty years old. You haven't done this yet. You've got kids in their twenties. What's going on? Yeah, hundred percent. Every time I work with two partners, I say, "Let me see the let me see the partnership agreement," and I, and then I get blank stares. Or I say, "You know, let me see your let me see your key person policy. Let me see your buy sell agreement. Uh, that's you know that's that should be an addendum to your um, to your partnership agreement." And I get blank stares. And I say to them, what would be the first thing you would, you would tell, you know, a client, you would tell your sister, your brother, if they were buying a business with a partner, what would be the first thing you would tell them? Oh, you got to have a partnership agreement. You got to have a buy sell agreement in case, you know, in the event of the, the, the untimely demise of the other person. Never. They never have. I worked with two of my dear friends who I worked with for years. They both carried the partnership agreement around in their briefcase for like seven or eight months before they marked it up and then eventually signed it. And it was and and this is you know this is something that I'd like you to address before we wrap up tonight. It's the the as I guess it's the aspect of finality that really prevents people from wanting to have this conversation with you in the first place. So help everyone who's listening, help everyone who's watching, Stephanie. How do we bring this up? Do we do we use the asset protection angle? Do we use the, hey, you want to travel and you want to do it carefree and not worry about the guardianship for your kids angle? What are some of the best ways that you've seen people bring up, hey, you got to go, you know, you got to go get your affairs in order. You got to go get your estate plan taken care of. You know, I hate to say this, that it has to be some kind of... Um Incite, the inciting incident to cause someone to get a state plan has to be negative, but I, you know, in all honesty, I think it is. I think it's when your best friend is diagnosed with cancer, had a heart attack and died, your parents died, you've gone through probate, you see how bad it is, you don't want your kids to go through it. COVID was a huge 
Um, I think I think it initiated a lot of people for the first time ever to really think about their own mortality. That doesn't mean to say this is a fun process. It's totally morbid. It's awful to actually think about what will happen to you when you die. But I do think there's such a peacefulness. There's a calmness that you can get a gift to your family and gift to yourself that at least, you know, all the T's are crossed, I's are dotted, everything's in order. And it, it truly does feel good when it's done. You know, think about it. If you if you go on vacation and somebody's house sitting, you leave them a checklist of things that they should do while you're away, right? We go out. I go out for the night with my wife, and we leave the kids at home with the dogs and you know the babysitter, and we give her like 15 phone numbers. We tell her exactly where we're going to be. We tell her what to feed the dogs, the exact amount, what time to take them out for their walk, what time the kids have to go. There's a whole. There's like a sheet of paper, and a, you know, and the back sheet and the, and the backside of things just for us to go out for five hours people you're planning this thoroughly for stuff like that but you're not planning for the most important time and that's when you're not around to tell people what you want and how you want things done all right stephanie i want you to give folks i mean this was i think this was a great uh this is a great session we gave folks a lot of ideas i want you to give them three main things they should take away so i want you to think about three things they should take away from our conversation before you do that i want to remind people that we are brought to you by sandrowski corporate advisors for over 35 years they've helped people with sophisticated accounting issues if you need help with forensic accounting with dispute advisory with business valuation litigation support forensic accounting give them a call you can reach them at 866-717-1607 866-717-1607 we're also brought to you by my revenue roadmap guide you need a business development plan you want to use relationship-based business development strategies go to revenueroadmapguide.com download your free copy today it's your business development plan you can customize it it's my gift to you for listening and for watching our guest today is Stephanie Sexauer. She's in a, in a state planning attorney, a trust and estates attorney based in Chicago. If you want to reach her, you can call 312-300-4743, 312-300-4743. I'm also going to put her email address and her website down in the show notes. You can click on the, the website link there and go see her website. You can click on the link to email her down in the show notes as well. All right, Stephanie, what are the three things we should take away from our time together today? Thanks, Dave. And this has been so great. I think number one, uh, anyone over the age of 18 should have powers of attorney for healthcare and property. This includes your kids that went to college. You know, just make sure it's done. Spouses don't automatically bypass HIPAA. You, just as a parent, do not get to call and check in on your kid's mono diagnosis when they're 19. Um, second, a will is not equal to a trust. Just because you have a will, that is not enough. You should likely have a trust. Talk to your estate planning attorney about that. Number three, we didn't really touch to, you know, we really didn't address this too much tonight. But it's a reminder that so much of our population these days is in the baby boomer generation. We will have a lot, and we do have a lot of aging people. Check in on your neighbors, especially your single neighbors. There is a lot of scamming going on, a lot of financial exploitation, a lot of neglect. Just do your best, check on people, you know, do good in the world. All right, yeah, let's actually, let's spend a couple of minutes talking about that. So, you know, I... 
I regularly spend, and she's probably gonna listen to this, so I, I don't wanna, I don't wanna, I don't wanna go too into too much detail. But there's a member of my family that I regularly spend a significant amount of time each week talking through the latest phone call, email, link that they clicked on, and you know, people, older people in particular are vulnerable, and I think. One of the things that you brought up just now about people checking on them, that, you know, what 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 we do, for example, is my, my kids are, I have a teenager and I have a 10-year-old, and I will regularly send my teenager to uh, the older folks in our family and have him show them, you know, what where they should go on the internet, what they should do, where they should not put private information, the, the internet is constantly changing and there's a there's a new scam every day like facebook for example facebook messenger we had this happen to a, a member of our family where they their facebook page was cloned and the person was messaging other people to send them money because they were they had been frozen out of their bank account and they needed to pay bills right away and they were going to pay them back next week and somebody called me and said, hey, you know, so-and-so, uh, you know, is on Facebook asking people for money. And I called the person and I said, what are you asking people for money for? And they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. And that's exactly what happened. What When, when, you, when you say, you know, talk, talk to the older people and, and check in on them, is that the kind of thing you're referring to? Or are you referring to in-person scams as well? Well, you know, Dave, I think you highlighted one of the really common ones that a lot of us are guilty of. You know, we're getting sent emails that look very legitimate these days. We're getting messages from people we think we know. And, you know, you're getting links. And it's it's a terrible world we're living in with all of these fishers, scammers. God knows what they're doing with our information. I don't, I mean, yes, of course, cautioning seniors to be careful is one thing. But I think there is, you know, there's... Um, the idea that we should still visit with seniors, not just for the, for the potential for them to be scammed in person, but really, are we, are we making sure that they're living life the way they should? Are we making sure they have the groceries they need? Are they getting up and exercising at all? Are they making their way to the store, having any amount of human interaction? You know, just really making sure they're living their best lives in the in the twilight of, of time. You know, that's I think that's an important aspect of aging, too. And that's kind of our job is, is the younger generation. I, I couldn't agree with you more. One of the one of the conversations that I've had with my parents, I'm very fortunate. My parents are in their 80s and they're still really sharp. And one of the conversations I had with them is, look, you've gotten you know, this is um we, we need to we need to be careful about sharing COVID-19 information because, you know, the powers that be where where this podcast is distributed there, there's there's a significant amount of um, censorship related to that subject. And it could be we've had it. We've had episodes pulled down for joking around. So I'm not joking when I say I told my parents, you got your vaccines, you got your boosters you know, you're, you follow all the safety protocols. You're 85 years old. My mother's 83 years old. I want you to go out and hang out with other people. I don't want you to stay in the house any longer because you've been in the house now for when I had this conversation with them, it was 18 months and you know, things, things had started to open up. And I said, you're, you know, you're wearing a mask, you're fully vaccinated. 
you're following, you're going to meet somebody outside for coffee. Perfect. It's safe. Go play cards. Go talk. Go volunteer at church. Go ahead. It's okay. Because here's the thing, and you're so right that six months of no contact with the outside world is more harmful to them than, you know, a mild illness would be, knock on wood, if they got some sort of a mild illness, right? So I, I think I think you're I think you're spot on. And the one thing we should do, you know, we we spend so much time telling older people, oh, you gotta be careful of this, you gotta be careful of that. We should be encouraging them to do more stuff. <laughs> we should be encouraging them to be more active. I, I think I'm so glad you added that to the three things because I think that is a really, really important point. It's amazing. I think, you know, I, again, we're just lucky, but I think my parents, because they are um, because they are active and they're in a community where they have something to do every day, I think that's why they're still, you know, they're still sharp and they're still with it. Um, I, I, I see people who, the minute they retire, they start to decline because they stop doing everything. And they're so lonely. Yeah. I think that's, yeah. and you know, Dave, we really, none of us know how much time we have. So it's a good reminder, you know, it's it's warming. It's hopefully about to start warming up here in Chicago. We're all gonna be able to get out a little bit more. Hopefully in Florida things, you know, they're already that way. You guys are the lucky ducks anyway, but it's a good reminder. Let's get out when we can, be safe, be careful, but let's, you know, just watch ourselves. And that's, that's gonna be what makes the world go round. All right, Stephanie, it was a pleasure having you with us today. You can call Stephanie for your estate plan or just for good advice about staying active in your in your elder years. You can call her at 312-300-4743, 312-300-4743. Stephanie, it was a pleasure having you with us today. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, Dave, thank you so much. All right, folks, that'll do it for this episode of the Inside BS Show. I'm Dave Lorenzo. Until tomorrow, here's hoping you make a great living and live a great life.